0: setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. On this episode, I will introduce you to Ruth Bass, a veteran private practitioner and firecracker who was so much fun to interview. Ruth has kept her private practice small, on purpose, but her bubbly personality is anything but small. In this episode, she talks about how to keep things simple, but also keep them profitable, including sharing a ton of marketing tips. As you're listening, I want you to pay special attention to anything that Ruth says that resonates with you. Maybe it's that she started her career as an SLP later in life, or that she lives on the West Coast, or that she's an extrovert. Listen, she has a ton of experience to offer. Let's just jump right in. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high-quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. So, before we dive in, can okay. you like share your name,
1: your location, and the mm-hmm. name of your private practice? Mm-hmm. I'm Ruth Bass in Newport Beach, California. My private practice is called Island Therapies. Ruth,
0: I am so excited to talk to you tonight and to help you share your story with the listeners. And people listening really range from very beginners who are maybe even just curious about private practice to people who have had practices or have their own practices and are just kind of curious what other people are doing. So that's a little bit of the context. So how about if we start your interview talking
1: about your early career as a speech pathologist? Okay, well, we're going to have to back up a bit because I started late. I went back to school after I was 35 years old, I think somewhere around there. So I, there was a lot, of, a lot of things I did to prepare me for speech pathology and private practice before I went into it myself. So you ready for that? I am, let's do it. Well, my first job out of high school, well, let's start back in 1901. My first job out of high school, actually, I worked in a convalescent hospital. That's what they called them then. We call them sniffs or SNICs now, but it was with you know the elderly population doing nursing assisting, And I didn't stay there long enough to be a certified nurse's aide, but I was basically a nurse's aide and that's how I saved up for my first car. So I had an interest in working with people and helping people way back then. That lasted for a summer and then I started college and I went to a hospital nearby that had an opening in their laboratory. became a laboratory assistant and I worked there in the lab answering phones making appointments, running around the hospital, putting things in charts, doing all kinds of different jobs in the hospital. So I really walked the walk when it came to things related to our profession. And then after that, I got married. And before I got married, I worked for oral and maxillofacial surgeons. And I ended up working for them for 10 years in their office with, you know, like extracting wisdom teeth and things like that. And wound up being their assistant in the hospital. And I went in the OR and did a lot of oral and maxillofacial surgery there, orthognathic stuff. You know, someone's jaw was prognathic or micronathic or whatever. We put their jaw back together and got them all fixed up, that sort of thing. And also did some emergencies, car accident repairs and things like that. When things would happen, we would go in and do a, you know, a fracture situation or something. So I had a lot of experience working in the operating room and in the dental offices And I worked for an orthodontist after that for a very short time. But so I worked in medical settings and in doctors' private practice offices for a very, very long time and did every job in the office in the end. So by the time I got to school, being in private practice wasn't a mystery to me. It really wasn't because I can tell you all the jobs I did eventually when you're ready for that, for me to answer that question. But pretty much anything you can think of in the doctor's office, I had done including taking out stitches and taking x-rays. So, (laughs) so I really felt like I really walked the walk and I had sort of that little machine built into me when the time came to open my own practice. And that really served me well.
0: So that's, that's great. So, so you already sort of knew what it was like to be in businesses, Mm -hmm. right? And to see all of the different roles that people could play. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so then you went to graduate school and then, and you graduated. And well, I went then, to undergrad. Sorry
1: to interrupt. Oh, we were still in undergrad. Okay. great. I didn't even finish my first year or two at the city college that I went to in 1901. So I went to a community college and did my couple of years there then. And I was already a mommy by then. Then I was on for like seven years and I thought, okay, time to go back to work or school or something, you know, I didn't want to be home all day long sort of thing. So I went to school. And in the first two years at that junior college, I found out that speech therapy was what I wanted to do. I got hooked up with deaf studies and kids who stutter and all that fun kind of stuff. And I thought, this is really, I really want to work in this field. So I started volunteering all over town for all kinds of things and got like a three-hour job a week with a speech pathologist in town, just answering her phones and filling in and doing all kinds of stuff and getting material squared away and working on referral notebooks and every little thing you can think of. So I got my feet wet a lot. Then I transferred to Cal State Northridge, did my undergrad there, and also applied to their graduate school. And um, that's where I did my graduate work. And everybody, it's really funny, later people said to me, when I, they found that I was in private practice, my colleagues from school said, you're living your dream. And I said, what dream? They said, you always wanted to be in private practice and you wanted to work with kids who stutter. And I said, wow, I'm living my dream. I mean, I didn't, I just jump into things. I never really realize that I have this big old goal I'm working toward. I just sort of go with the flow of life. And I'm one of those people who kind of has a good gut and I just go with things that really interest me and do what I want to do in quotes. I think I'm in charge here. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's worked out. It's been a fun journey, it really has. So, okay. So, so yeah. then I graduated. So, then you graduated. Okay. Uh-huh. So, now what happened next? After that, of course, I did a fellowship. So, my family moved to a new county, so I came to a new place and I'm like, "Oh, great. Now I have to re-network everybody I met and all the different connections I made in speech therapy and audiology and psychology and, you know, teaching and all those fun things." Uh, moved to a new county, so I started making new friends and I did a fellowship. And after my fellowship, I stayed on at this private practice that I worked at. It was a large practice. I stayed a little bit longer. And then one day just said to myself, okay, I haven't uncovered any big mystery here. It's the basics, just like working for those doctors. You make the appointments, you open the waiting room door, you say, come in, you see the people, you make them a chart, you write down what you did. You say, come back next week. They give you a check. You send them off. You go to the bank, they come back and you do it all over. And it was like, It was the same thing. You just keep opening your front door and telling them when to come back and you just do the therapy and you have to give really, really good, good service if you want this to continue. So I tried to offer the most high quality boutique type service. I'm a very small practice. I always have been and I always will be, but that's what you do. You just really make every person in every family feel like they're the most important people in the world and take really good care of them and things work out for you. And it did for, it certainly did for me. I love how you just brought
0: it back to the basics, right? Yeah. And I think that people, when especially when they're first starting out, tend to try to think of all of the things, right? Yes. And they get, they get really lost in the details and you know what comes first and you know mm-hmm. worrying about how you're gonna hire people before you yeah. have even opened your doors and that kind yes. of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important for people listening to realize that
1: that is how it works. Right. And I'm not one of those people who believes necessarily in visualization as some kind of religion or something, but I would sit and just visualize the whole thing. I open the front door, they walk in, "Uh uh-oh, I don't have any test materials. So I would walk myself through the whole thing. Like for about a month, I did this and just got on my little laptop and went to SuperDuper and Pearson and people and, you know, ordered assessment materials and things like that. And I had a few toys and and, and that sort of thing for the younger ones. But yeah, I went to the toy store and bought a few fun little potato heads, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I got myself some supplies, but I kind of just closed my eyes and walked myself through appointments with different age kids and what I would need to report back to various doctors and psychologists in town who would be, I would imagine would be referring clients to me and parents and how to write reports for regional centers and things like that. So I just made sure I had enough supplies. And I thought, if I don't, then I'll make that appointment a month down the way and I'll order those materials. I'll just deal with each bridge as I come to it, when I come to it, I'm not going to cross it first. So that's the kind of person I am and that's how I've worked it. And it, I really have really had great success and just have enjoyed myself so much. Well, and that's the name of the game, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Getting up right? every day what, what and wanting we, to go to work. What are we doing if we don't enjoy it? Right. I love, I really have loved my work. It's been really great. And one thing you said too a moment ago about how am I going to hire people before I even have the office to see the clients in? I have always been a sole practitioner. I've had a couple of slippers in my career who were in graduate school. I always hire a slipper who is definitely going to go on to be a speech pathologist. It just, for me, that really works well. I know they have a huge vision. So, one of my people came into my tiny little office to visit me, one of my uh, previous employers, and said, What are you going to do when you get big? Because all I had was a waiting room and a therapy room and a closet. And I said, I'm never going to get big. And that's the truth. I've always shared offices, I've had other colleagues around me, speech pathologists, psychologists, occupational therapists, that sort of thing. But I never got big. So, my vision was not humongous. And I know I have a lot of friends who have built large practices and things like that. So they probably had longer lists than I did and more complicated things to go through. But you know, I'm just a simple gal works for me.
0: Well, and that's, well, that's the, that's what it is though. Whatever works for you. Right. 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 Um, Right. And I think that that's something else that I've really tried to highlight on, on this podcast is that you can, you you can get as big as you want Mm -hmm. or you can stay small and manageable. Mm-hmm. it's completely up to you and to figure out what's going to work for you and what's going to you know make you happy and mm-hmm. be part of whatever your like natural inclinations are. Right. So your private, so it's been relatively, well, it's been small over the years. You've had a couple of slippers here and there and is it mostly like
1: the little, little ones that you work with? Right. You said about two year olds. Yeah. Well I do all ages. Mm-hmm. I have uh, the primary focus of my work has is pediatric definitely. But I've had a lot of preschoolers over the years, little ones just getting their diagnosis of autism or whatever it is, just the little ones. And, you know, one of my big things is the parent component of everything I do, the parent coaching and really kind of handholding. And I learned that in the oral surgery office, handholding people who are afraid to go to sleep and have whatever done, you know, but just really kind of shepherding people through the process of, you know, some of the trauma that they're going to go through and some of the. There's so much unknown, especially when you get a diagnosis of, art with anything's wrong. If your child's hearing impaired, no matter what it is, it's not easy. Or even if they're stuttering, every little thing is hard for the moms. And so one of my big things has been to partner with moms. And I've really, really loved that. So yes, lots of little ones in preschool, but different kids come calling at different hours. The kids who are in school all day, the elementary, middle school, and high school kids need to come after three o'clock. So I often see little ones in the morning. I get a mixed bag around lunchtime. And then in the late afternoons, I get the kids who are older. I also work, and maybe I haven't mentioned this, at a school for children with autism and Asperger's. It's, it's six through 12, but it's all contract work. Yeah. They hire my business to come in and see all these kids. And I go three days a week, not full days, because they close at two or three o'clock. So I go over there around two, two, until about two o'clock, two or three days a week, and see all those kids on contract through various districts. So kids from all ages, I have some 20, 21-year-old kids right now. Sometimes kids grow with me if they have Down syndrome or autism or they stutter. And so they get beyond 18 or so. And so I have a couple kids who are over 20 (laughs) right now. And that's about it, though. Adults really don't like coming to my office and sitting in little chairs. So it works out well to have little kids.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's, there's adult private practices in your area or private practices that. Oh, sure. Veterans, oh, you know, so they, can,
1: they can yeah. go there. Oh, right? they yeah. There, there are enough speech pathologists to go around. Yeah. There's enough and business there's for all of us. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah.
0: That's something that I think a lot of people worry about, right? They get into feeling like there's, you know, competition and, you know, how am I going to get everyone? And I have to have a wait list and all this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's plenty to go around. And my schedule is full. So when people call me, I try to refer. They go, can we get on, your, get on your waiting list." And I'm like, "I'd rather have you get in to see somebody right away." Let me give you some names of my colleagues in town who I know and trust. And they're really grateful to have that kind of referral because they need to get in. They shouldn't be on somebody's wait list. And I'm not so full of myself that I think I'm the only one in town who can help them. That's just not the truth.
0: Well, and especially with little kids, right? But you know, oh, God really the essence. Yes. It's Like, what are, what are we doing waiting? For services, you know, every day mm-hmm. that a child or, or anyone mm-hmm. really is going without, that's not good for anybody, right?
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, they're aging and the gap between maybe what they know and what they can show us they know is widening. So we want to make sure to keep that gap as little as possible. What are some other lessons that you've learned over the years to, to share with the listeners? Well, one of the things I've learned is it's important to know what you don't know and then find people who can help you. Like I don't do the math really well. So I've always had an accountant and I'm never going to do my own taxes. So my accountant comes in once a week for an hour or two. I have a calendar. She takes all of my appointments, puts them in a QuickBooks thing, takes all the payments, checks all those off, invoices my people. I don't bill anyone, but I send them all a statement at the end of the month. You owe this or your balance is zero with all the CPT codes and all the ICD-9 code or 10 codes and all that stuff. ICD-10. And so I know that I can't keep all that in my head or calculate anything or whatever. So she does all that for me. So I keep track. Scheduling is fun. It's like I love Tetris and games like that. And that's basically what it is. So I do all that kind of stuff. So learning what you don't know. And I think this is one thing I learned from the doctors and the dentists too. Often clinicians are wonderful clinicians, but they aren't necessarily great business people. And they're not necessarily good with money or good with accounting. And I watched some people struggle with that, not all of them. Some of the people I worked for were wonderful at that. But I learned that it's okay to admit what your deficits are and then ask for help. Ask for help, hire people. So I have this wonderful accountant. And at the end of the year, I go tax time. She goes, no problem. Everything's already allocated and set up and accounted for. And I have, of course, a business account and a a private account, and she can Help me with both of those. And then she's like, your taxes are ready. Sign here. So that's really great. So knowing what you don't know has been really good.
0: Well, you know what you said about then hiring for those things, right? Yes. Because yes. Just like you're a really good SLP, how could you possibly be a really good SLP like and an accountant, right? Those kind of people don't exist. So you have to hire someone who knows their job just as well as you know yours. hmm Because if you're trying to use your brain power to do tasks that aren't like fun for you and you're not particularly good at, or, you know, they don't light you up or whatever, then that's taking time away from time. You could be
1: spending with clients and really, that's so true. And I do have friends who are private practitioners who do their own accounting and all that stuff. And I'm like blown away by them. They understand. I I can't even figure out how to get into QuickBooks and they're all over it, you know, so they're great. But the other thing is when I actually have things like that, uh, if I work really hard, I can make some progress, but it would probably take me eight hours to do what an accountant can do in about five minutes. I mean, literally, I'm ha- I have to relearn it and relearn it and nothing sticks, nothing sticks. People stick with me. Little kids stick with me. The whole I have all my people memorized, but I can't memorize that math kind of stuff and QuickBooks and things like, and computer stuff to save my life trust me, I have other skills,
0: right? There's a a place for everybody. Totally. Yeah. It all works out. Okay. So that's, that's one of your, uh, a big lesson. Yes. What else would you tell people who are considering going down the, the road of private practice?
1: Oh, I would tell them, I would tell people who are already SLPs who have been in whatever the schools or in somebody else's private practice or whatever. If you've ever worked for a doctor, a dentist, if your parents were professionals and they ran any kind of business, or if they were in any kind of healthcare type setting, a lot of people I know, you know, like work for their dads or moms who were dentists or dermatologists or whatever, they know so much more about how to run a business than they realize. I would tell them not to be afraid and maybe take your course and maybe find out those few things like getting licensed or the LLC component of things or whatever they decide to set up for themselves legally, jump in. And do those important things, but not, not to fear. They might know more than they think they know. And the other thing I would tell them too is young people in school, I would say, do your internships in hospitals, do your inter- internships in SNPs, do your internships in places where you can watch every character in the scene acting out their part. And you can sort of absorb a little bit from each one. I mean, look how the doctors walk and talk. Look how the nurses interact. Look how the administrator picks up the phone and gives tours. Look how people treat people. I mean, just be observant of everything around you because you're going to end up playing every part if you want to run your own business. And it's actually kind of fun. It really, really is. And the other thing I think I've learned is that not everything you do works. And I don't have a negative perspective on that. I've tried a lot of different things. And some work and some don't. And I don't see the ones that don't work as a failure. I'm saying, oh, I tried that, didn't work. So, but I've moved on to some other idea. And it's not like I'm willy-nilly with this erratic kind of behavior, like I'm bipolar this week and then I'm something else next week or whatever. It's just that I'm happy to try out new things or explore an idea. And if something pans out, it pans out. And then if something else doesn't, it doesn't. And that's okay too.
0: Well, you know? I think that uh, that not attaching meaning of failure to that right because no no people people who tend to be SLps or, or people who are SLps tend to maybe be a little bit risk-averse and not want to make mistakes and not oh, wow. people tell me all the time I ask you know why haven't you started a private practice or you know some question along those lines and say well I'm afraid of failure oh yes what does, yeah what does that mean yeah. failure right what does what does that mean to you what are you you know most afraid of or whatever but something that you that you said about you know that it's okay to try things and if sure. they work out and great not sure. but a word that i i got that i'm really just loving right now is just the word pivot right that you can try something mm-hmm. and pivot mm-hmm. to something else i feel like that word That's right. gives people permission to say like oh that was that was exciting
1: that was fun or that was like terrible and just move on right 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 and it gives you all kinds of it's the impetus for creativity. So you've got that idea and that little pivotal moment in your life. And if this little thing doesn't spiral into whatever, it'll spiral a different way. So you have to really have think outside the box, have an open mind. I wish you could see me raising my hands in the air while we're doing this interview, trying to <laughs> tell you how exciting this is. But it's true. You get ideas and you just follow up on your ideas. And some work and some don't. And that's okay. Some of the things that also I think I've learned too, is I did some things to promote myself early on. Like I did booths around town, like the kids run around this thing and they do so many miles and everybody sponsors them. And you put your name up, you get a booth, you hand out goodies and you know your business card and all that kinds of stuff. And I thought, oh, this would be great. And everybody in town will come see me for speech. They didn't really come and see me for speech right away, but you're constantly kind of cultivating the soil. You cultivate the soil. You're planting seeds, all that good kind of stuff. And I know uh, the booth next to me was this dentist. I've known this dentist now for 20 years. I send people to him. He sends people to me. If he gets a lisper, I get him, you know, this kind of thing. So you make friends in the community by being a part of community events. Even though Better Hearing and Speech Month might not turn into a ton of business, 10 years from now or five years from now, they'll say, that Ruth did those screenings on my child, you know, three or four years in a row at the so-and-so school or wherever. And I've just known that name and that business for a long time. They've been around. They must be good. So your name is familiar. And so it's nice to know, I think for people who are not getting business directly from those kind of things, to know that they eventually do pan out because familiarity is very important. Your name is in little advertisements. You're donating to whatever food bank in your town, your name is plastered here and there. You're meeting people at the booth next to your booth. You're volunteering for the autism walk and you give a gift or whatever, different things like that. Yeah. And so your name is just like, oh yes, I know that name. It's kind of like Johnson and Johnson, a trusted name. So they just hear your name around, you're associated with kids and other moms start saying your name and things like that. So don't be afraid to advertise, but don't be shocked when you don't get immediate gratification from those things either, go do it for the long term. So that's, I think, I think a really important thing that I've learned took me a while to realize how come the phone's not ringing the day after? Well, it's not going to, it's not going to, but now 10 years later, they hear your name from, Oh yeah, Mrs. So-and-so over at the school and Dr. What's his face. And you know, my other colleague, and now my next door neighbor mentioned your name. So I called you. I'm like, wow, that's really neat. You're known in your community. And I think it's important to be a known quantity, a good one, hopefully. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> That's what so. Right. It, yeah. People don't know about you; they can't refer to you. Right. Oh, so right, you do, right, right. You do have to start to get your name out there in different yeah. ways, and that doesn't mean being pushy, right? A lot of people get it worried doesn't. about, like, oh, I don't want to be pushy, you know, whatever. Right. But it, it's easy to have a, a booth at something like this, or right. I tell people if you go to church or the school plays or whatever like say, right. you know, you pay 25 bucks or something and you get your little name in the back of the program right yeah. those are the kind of things that you can do really
1: pretty inexpensively and start to build that awareness in your local community that's right and i've done those screenings like at our church they have a little preschool so i do some here hearing- i think i've done them 3 years in a row over there now and the moms just know my name's i send the business cards home with the results of the screenings and I call them and if they have any questions. So I'm now their little consultant person, a couple moms who just call me and "Ah, little so-and-so is kind of stuttering again or whatever it is, you know? And so then I talk them down from the ledge or I see them or whatever it is. But yeah, you just get to be kind of known in your community as a person who's available. I think my first client, my first goal when I opened my very first office, which was not very big, was just to cover the rent. So I'm not setting goals like, I'm going to get rich and buy my whole family a new car. This was not my goal to begin with. My beginning goal was cover the rent. And then if I can do that each month, this would be really great. And then maybe add a client then add a client. Then, you know, like whatever, baby steps, just go in baby steps. Room wasn't built in a day, right? So you just start small like that.
0: I'm going to talk for a (laughs) second because it's related to that, which is that I think a lot of times beginners. And you talked a little bit about like instant gratification, mm-hmm. a lot of times, and beginners. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people start out comparing their, the practice that they're just starting mm-hmm. to people who've been in pra- practice for years and decades, mm-hmm. right? There's, yeah. it's incomparable at that level, right? right? But if you don't keep at it, and if you don't keep going, then you'll never get to that level. But but even that big private practice that you look
1: at and think, "Well, how how could I ever do that?" They started with one client too. That's right. They started with no clients. They started with nothing. They started with th- themselves, you know, and that's how you start. You start with you. And you're right. You have to build it baby steps. You really really do. Some people's steps are faster and longer than others. My stride was just fine. I you know, I achieved my goals but i also started my gosh i graduated from school when i was like 40 something and so my only regret is that i didn't start this sooner because i love speech therapy it's been it's been really good to me and i think i've been good for it oh back to the point of meeting the rent the very first month one of the people i had at the very very beginning went back to her doctor who by the way was a block away from my office i Opened my first office, location, location, location. If you're going to do this in a real live office, brick and mortar, everybody refers to. My office was just a block away from all the doctor's offices on Fashion Island in Newport Beach, California. And they're all these doctor's offices are all kind of clumped together. So they hop back over to the pediatrician and say, We see Ruth Bass. We love her. If she moves to Barbados, we're following her. I mean, they said all this great stuff about me. Pretty soon, the doctor's calling me saying, my kids have speech and you know, language impairment, blah blah blah. What would you do? And I'm like, Well, doctor. And then I'm starting to develop my professional sense of who I am, even at the very, very beginning, opening my own practice. And pretty soon, that doctor is sending me people, and I'd say, Well, I think you need to get your hearing checked, and blah 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 standard stuff for us. But then they'd go back to the doctor and say, She wants us to go do all this stuff. He'd say, If Ruth Buss says it, you do it. So it was really great to have, they had my back, a few of these doctors in town. So that was, that was really nice. That's how the referrals started. So from that first mom, I give her credit for keeping me in business, for giving me a good report when she went back to her pediatrician. And that, that happened a lot for me. People would go back. And of course, you're trying to uh, offer the highest quality of service, right? We're giving the best that we can, the very best that we can. And so then the report goes back and you get more and more clients that way. So that's one thing I learned too. Do a good job. <laughs> Do a good job well, yeah, and people because will call you. Cuz people talk, right? And That's so whether, right. Whether
0: people had a wonderful experience or a terrible experience, right? And people yeah. really love to share, well, I guess probably both. But, you know, if you've had a good experience, like think about a time where you went to a really good restaurant. Maybe it was mm-hmm. like a new restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And you told, "Oh, oh my gosh, you guys, you have to go to this place. You have to order the lamb or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you, you and it feels good when then they say, Oh my gosh, I went to that restaurant. Ruth, you were right. That was fantastic, right? Yeah. I mean, there's this deep sense of personal satisfaction. Yeah. When yeah. you tell people or you share something that was positive and then other people, because you want them to have that positive experience too, right? Yeah. So, so when that mom early on had that positive experience with you mm-hmm. and told the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Think of how that magnified. Into so many other people at that practice, who mm-hmm. mm-hmm. then got to know right. So one person's positive experience—it's amazing, yeah—lead to so much good stuff. So you're right, like everyone listening, do a really good job, right? Yeah, if right. That's how you get word of mouth marketing. Everybody wants word of mouth, mm-hmm. but you have
1: to earn word of mouth. It doesn't well, just happen. That's right. Yeah, people have to, you have to have happy customers. Yeah. You really do for them to say that. And that same mom. And don't be afraid to ask people. That same mom, I would say to her, what can I do in the community? What do you know of where I can get my name out more and more around here? And she said, oh, well, I'm on the PTA of our elementary school, and we have a literacy lunch every year. Would you like to make a donation to the literacy lunch? So we brainstormed about it. It was like, oh, I'll donate the books. So they would put a book on each mom's place at the luncheon, and inside it was a little book plate that said Ruth Bass Island Therapies donated this book. So I don't know what I gave her, $100 or $1,000, but they bought a bunch of books. Everyone got one for lunch and then they make note of it. It's in the program and someone says, we want to thank Island Therapies for And they even invited me to one of the lunches one time. And it wasn't like I was a star speaker or anything. I just participated. But you just, again, it's familiarity. People just know you, you're around and, and you support things in the community. Literacy obviously is a speech pathology thing. So that was a good way to just be a part of the community too. So, there you go. Also, ways to advertise well, ways to advertise, yeah, and also it's
0: about the principle of reciprocity, right? mm hmm yes. that got those books on their plates or whatever, mm-hmm. whether or not they specifically thought about it, you know, they realized it was a gift, mm-hmm. right and they they were like, "Oh wow, this person gave me a gift and so then people when when people give you a gift, whether it's just like some tea. Or like the guy at Starbucks makes an extra coffee and is like, hey, does anybody want this extra coffee? <laughs> and yes. all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I should tip him more, right? right. And you yeah. start going to how can I repay people who did something nice for me, right? Right, right, right. So, so putting out positive energy and giving people not monetary gifts per se, or, but just something, even helpful bits of information right. come back
1: to you tenfold. And as you're starting to grow, That's exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. You're right. And I think it's a pay it forward sort of thing. You're investing. And someone I know taught me that when you want people to kind of get on your side and come alongside, you don't do like a fundraiser, you do a friend raiser. So you're kind of making relationships by raising friends. And I'm definitely a friend raiser. I love making friends. So this is fun for me. So I got involved in lots of fundraisers. But I made a lot of friends through it. So that was really a great vehicle for me. And it's funny, the dentist who, one of the dentists I met at one of those booths where the kids run around town and raise money for the schools and stuff. He does a mommy club. There's a a newborn club set up through some of the pediatricians in town. And they have like a new mom's club. And he goes to the new mom's club and talks to the kids like zero to one about just normal dental development. When are the teeth gonna come in? When you should have your first, free sort of dental, get used to the office kind of checkup and all that kind of stuff. And he he pays it forward so much. And he has a thriving, wonderful practice, orthodontics and everything else. So I always keep my eye on these people who run these businesses because, I and you see what they're doing and you see how they make friends. They're friend raisers. That's for sure. So that's really, really an important thing to develop. Trust just just really big
0: in person relationships right yeah. i love the thing of the friend raiser what what i was thinking too is like yeah yes like social media is important too some yeah. but it's but real honest relationships where you know people where whether you've met them in person you've talked to them on the phone but you you have this relationship that really is how how businesses move forward that's how other businesses move forward mm-hmm. one major Point of your interview tonight has been to look at what's working in other businesses. Oh, yes. Other professions. Mm -hmm. Because it's like tried and true and it works. Right. And make it work for our profession.
1: So very true. I think that's an important thing. That really is. And that brings me to an important point: perspective taking. So when you're watching those other people and you kind of walk in their shoes a little bit, you can get the perspective how they feel about various things. And so One thing you said earlier in this interview was people are afraid because I think it's like the cold calls, that they're afraid of that. They're afraid of embarrassing themselves or failing and that kind of thing. Like, how am I going to go to doctors? I don't want to annoy people or how am I going to get my name around or whatever. Having worked for oral surgeons and dentists and doctors before, the sales reps would come in, like the drug sales reps. And what are the things people, I'm thinking materials, various materials and machinery and drills and, you know, that kind of stuff. equipment, equipment, medical equipment, people would come into the office and they'd want a few minutes of the doctor's time. The doctor's like, ah, you know, I've got all this stuff going on. I don't really have time. And they would be, they're really nice to the people, but there were times when they're really, really annoyed because they were so busy. They really didn't want to sit down and just shoot the breeze with someone who they didn't really need to shoot the breeze with. So I remember that. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be the person that's at the front desk. Well, here's a really good tip for your people. Hang on for this idea but I didn't want to walk up to their front desk and say, is the doctor in, you know, I'd like to give him my materials that are shaking in my hand, my little papers, or I'm scared to death, but I want to shake his hand and her hand and meet them and tell them who I am and that I just work a block away and blah, blah, whatever. I know they didn't want that. So my strategy was I would go into the offices, maybe at Christmas or holidays or Hanukkah or whenever, or back to school drop off a couple little things about apraxia or whatever it is I think I'm good at that I'd be happy to help them with, a bunch of business cards and some cute pens. I have really good pens and people requested my pen. <laughs> so just a few little things and always a bag of candy kisses or some little thing like that. And, and people, you know, I think people poo-poo that kind of thing, but I think it's nice to drop it off. And having worked at the front desk of those offices, I know who to make friends with, the people at the front desk. They're the people who will be giving your card out. They're the people who see your face. They're the people who have a little time for you. And they just go into hysterics. If you bring them something and there's candy in there or there's whatever, and you say, hi, I'm just dropping this off. If the doctor's in, would you please say hi for me? But, you know, and then sometimes they go, well, wait a second, we'll go get him. But if if you're not pushy, if you're just a tiny bit assertive, you're raising friends again, you're making friends and you're all smiling and cracking up or whatever. And you get to know people this way. And, you know, having been on the other side, that's such an important thing, the perspective taking. The doctors really don't want to spend all day shaking hands and meeting all these people in town necessarily. But if you can work it in in kind of a nice, fun way, then I think you're in business. Yeah. And memorable, right? Like you Definitely. said, you fun pens, right? Yeah. And it
0: doesn't have to be things that cost a ton of money. No, right? no. Something mm-hmm. just to like make yourself memorable. I think that that yeah. makes yeah. all and, and how you treat people, right? With, you know, yeah. with warmth. And, and you said an important word, which is assertive, right? That it's it's yes. assertive right? without, you can be assertive without being pushy, right? It's,
1: it's not- Oh, definitely, definitely. Assertive without being aggressive. Yeah, right. so you're persistent, but you're not annoying. I hope I'm not annoying, but I'm persistent. I follow things through to the end, but you don't have to be annoying about it. You can be nice. One time I dropped off a holiday gift at this one pediatrician's office and I got one of those wine bottle gift bag things, you know, those tall ones. And so I filled it up with pamphlets for apraxia and for stuttering and for child speech and language development. You can get them from ASHA, that sort of thing. So I put some things in there, some of my pens and some candy kisses and candy and I brought it to the desk and I said, hi, I just wanted to wish you all happy holidays. And all the front deaf people turned around and looked at me and their eyes got really big. And I said, don't get excited. It's not booze. And they all just, they were on the floor in hysterics because they actually thought I brought them some wine and they were already picking in their minds who got to take it home. You know, like oh, we're going to take it before the doctor sees it, you know, <laughs> but I know those people because I've worked with those people before at the front desk. So anyway, I made friends that day. It was so fun. And I tell you that office sends me more people. And I think it is the concept of friend raising and being assertive and smiling doesn't hurt. Oh man. I feel like this, this
0: interview, we, we could probably just keep talking for hours. You are dropping so many just amazing bits of knowledge and experience well, good. from your, your time. And, um, but we do kind of need to wrap up. So is there okay. any other last either things you want to make sure that you say, or pieces of wisdom or mistakes that you made or anything hmm. like that?
1: I'm sure I've made lots of mistakes. I don't like to focus on them, but just go simple. And, you know, teletherapy is a big thing. You can start your own business and start teletherapy too. And this is just the wave of the future. And I think that it's evidence-based at this point. There are lots of studies and lots of research to show that it really works well. So teletherapy is a great thing and really convenient and you can reach kids all over the place. I think the advice I would give people, if you're interested in doing something like this, do it. Don't be afraid. Start small. All you need is a really comfy chair and a cute plant in your front room, in your waiting room. And, you know, a nice place for the mommies to sit while you see their one child, while they hold their baby on their laps, one at a time, one at a time. And then you can start adding. You get two people add a chair. You get the next person, you know, add a picture on the wall. You get you don't have to start out big and fancy. You can start out small just like we all do, just like we all do with our first apartments, like we all do with our first child everything. We start small and all of a sudden, you know, you're in deep with five kids or a giant speech pathology practice or whatever, but go at your pace and do what you want. And don't be afraid to do it the way you want to do it because the perception of control is probably far more powerful than actually having control itself. So remember that if you think you're doing it your way and it's working for you, boy, have confidence in yourself and just go with it. You might just be happy in the end. Oh, Ruth. So good.
0: So good. I loved hearing, you know, from your early days working in other people's spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Getting your own degree. And I'm, you know, I'm so thankful and happy for you that you found this profession when you needed to, so that you could then open your own practice and serve all of these people and really figure out how to run and operate a business Um, That is relatively simple. I loved how you talked about your visualization and, you know, letting it be simple, I think is really, really important. So thank you for, for sharing your
1: journey and your pearls of wisdom with our audience. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you for inviting me on your show. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you also for helping one of my friends who took your course and recently started her own business about, I think three or four months ago, and she's gangbusters. She's doing great. So you gave her all the right tools. Awesome. Good. Thanks, Jenna. Where can people learn more about you? Just Island thing. Therapies. Ruth Bass Island Therapies. You can Google that and my website will come up and then other fun things that I've done in my life might show up. Fabulous. They just might. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. Thanks a million, Jenna. Talk to you soon.
0: Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school, but here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned, and I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time, and yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help slps get the background information you need to know in order to be successful there are two tracks the start track and the grow track because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different the trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly i want to teach you how to think act and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part? These trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com. Click start or grow and we can get started right now.